Yeah. I like it. Okay, so I'm just going to keep going with announcements. Um, we have some celebrations this week. Jackson Shanahan's birthday is on the 22nd. He's not here, but they might be here, or you could tell him Wednesday. Um, and then it's Larry and Marlis's anniversary on the 24th. How many years? How many years, guys? How many years have you been married? Okay, um, so we have a ladies ministry meeting at 3 p.m. in the fellowship hall. All ladies are welcome and encouraged to come. Um, Lois is not here, so it'll be a little less um, business. She kind of does like the business part of it, but um, Sean's going to be doing a little devotion, and I'll be bringing some snacks, and we'll just have some fellowship time and some fun. Um, there is no prayer and worship tonight. Uh, there is precepts starting Tuesday at 9 a.m. here at the church. If you have any questions about that, get a hold of Carol. And then that same night, we have um, Mops and Moms Next at um, 6.30 here at the church. Then Wednesday night, um, as always, we have our Wednesday night Bible studies. We have um, classes from um, nursery to adult. And then we have dinner for the kids at 6.30, so invite a friend to that. Um, Feed My Starving Children's happening again this year. It's this week when we would really like to have um, some people from our church show up and, um, to help for that. Um, we did it last year, and it, the time went by really fast. It was a lot of fun, and, you know, it's, you're, it's for a good cause. So um, if you can make it, there's volunteer times Friday um, September 23rd from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. And then September 24th um, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. So if you want to serve in that area, let us know. We can get you signed up for that. And then we're also planning a trunk or treat on the 31st of October. If anyone wants to donate some candy, we'd really appreciate it. Um, and then, of course, if anybody could bring their car up so we could decorate your trunks, um, we'd appreciate that as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that we can gather under the name of Jesus. Father, your word says that there is no name no other name under heaven given by which men may be saved. So Jesus, it's you we worship. God, I'm reminded of the vision in Revelation, God, where all the elders cast their crowns at your feet. Because God, everything that we do here and now, whatever jewels in our crown we might earn. Jesus, when we see you, they will amount to nothing and we will cast them at your feet because you are worthy. And Father, as we're going through this series on stewardship, it matters because you are worthy. It matters because you have saved us. It matters because you shed your blood to pay the price for sinners that had no other hope. It matters because you were the sinless, spotless lamb. Because you went to the cross in our place. Because you died. 
and you rose again victorious over death in the grave because you ascended on high and because the Father has exalted you high above all things far above all gods all principalities all powers because you are now sitting at the right hand of the Father and because one day you will come again you will split these skies God those that are dead will rise first and those that are alive will gather together in the air to meet you and your word says to forever be with you and so God whatever this heaviness is let it pass instead God let us turn our hearts and our minds to that day knowing God that we have an advocate that we have an intercessor that you are faithful and true that you are the author and the finisher of our faith and that you are able to save completely those that come to you remind us of that today Father as we go into your word of just who it is that has bought us and just who it is that has given us life and just who it is that will return God open the eyes the ears the hearts the minds of your people Father move me out of the way Holy Spirit anoint my tongue may everything that is said and done in the remainder of this service bring glory and honor to you and I pray in the mighty 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 name of Jesus amen you can be seated there is uh, I believe Children's Church today um, so those that want to can go with Miss Apple I want to thank you for being here today two things I want to mention um, quickly to remember in your prayers is uh, Pastor Brian had surgery on his knee on Friday and the surgery went well but he's in a fair amount of pain um, so keep him in your prayers and then uh, Clarence has an appointment Tuesday to get a, a pacemaker put in so keep him in your prayers as well and then as, as always uh, Miss Norman and Miss Candace too but as we get into this we're going to continue in our, our series um, called Delegated which is a series on stewardship last week we looked at the Word of God and uh, this week we're going to look at, at our bodies and, and what it means and so the Bible has a, a lot to say about stewardship, has a lot to say about different aspects of stewardship, but it especially has a lot to say about our, our, our bodies. And, and we have commands and directives that are given to us on how to keep our, our bodies, our lives, in, in check with the Lord. So we're going to go pretty deep. The, the foundational verse for this series, the one that, that it's built on entirely, is Deuteronomy 10:14, which says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. And so everything belongs to God. But today we're going to pinpoint this more specifically and look at, at um, two scriptures, and I'm going to use other scriptures to define these scriptures. So if you have your Bibles with, with, uh, and you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, we'll begin in verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Just get that water. The Word of God says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I apparently cannot open a water bottle one-handed, so I'm going to have to set this down for a second. So this is a scripture that we're going to use. And, and when Paul's writing these scriptures, we have to, to keep in mind that these scriptures came in, in chapter 12 of Romans. There's already been 11 other chapters of things that he's written about. And, and so this word, uh, beseech, it, 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 it's Paul in imploring people to, to, to listen to what he said about sin's problem. He's laid out the problem of sin. He's laid out the problem of religion. He's laid out the problem of, of not being able to do what you want to do and, and, and of trying to live life without the Holy Spirit. So he's laid all these things out, and he's making this argument to these people based on what he's already said. And basically, the, the first 11 chapters of Romans is doctrine. And from 12 on is duty. Paul talks about why these things are, and then he talks about how we're supposed to live in light of them. And so when Paul uses that word beseech, it's not just a, a suggest or, or um, I have an idea. It's an urgent request. It, it means to ask someone urgently and fervently to do something, to implore and to entreat. So what Paul is writing here is that he's very passionate when he's saying this, and he's saying it uh, in a way that, that brings authority into it. He's not just some guy that's just saying some words. He's somebody that God has anointed to say what he has said and, and therefore to urge his readers to do something. And so it, it's not a suggestion. It's not a friendly recommendation. It's not Paul's opinion. It is an urgent request and one that requires uh, an immediate response. And so um, the word beseech there is tied into the word therefore. And so because of everything that Paul said in the first 11 chapters, he's telling his, his listeners, listen. This is how you do what I've talked about in the first 11 chapters. We're not going to read the first 11 chapters of Romans today. I thought about it, but I don't think that would be wise. Well, you guys are, you guys are a hard crowd this morning. But the first 11 chapters of Romans are significant. They deal with the need for Christ, with how we can be saved, with the fact that it's not just those that that denied God that weren't living for him. It's those that were religious and denied God that were in trouble. It's about how no man can save himself. It's about how uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's about how uh, Paul says that the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. Who can save me from this body of sin? And so it's a very serious thing up to this point. Chapter 8 talks about uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and what it means to live a life that is spirit-filled. And so Paul has presented them with a lot of information. But Paul urges them to present themselves as a living sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but that, that term living sacrifice is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. It's a, a conundrum. How, how can you be a living sacrifice, right? A sacrifice is something that dies to placate someone or something. So a living sacrifice is, is something that's a little bit hard to, to understand, but we're going to dig into this and... and I really want to pull this out for you guys. It, it says basically that the sacrifice for sin has already been paid. The Bible says that Christ died once for sin. All sacrificing stopped. There's no more uh, need for sacrifice. The sacrifice has been done. Christ is the one that died for sin. But there's, there's two ways to look at, at this, and we're going to dig into both of them. The, the first is, is that we're called to die to ourselves. 
And when we die to ourselves, we become alive to God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay? So that, that we need to understand, is, is a very serious thing that Paul's saying. John 3.30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. There's a, a natural growth in the Christian life of, of us decreasing and of Christ increasing. 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul again, he says, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now we know that Paul can't talk about literal dying. So what is he talking about? He's talking about dying to himself. His wants, his needs, his desires, his plans, his, his goals, his agendas. He dies daily in order to do what God has called him to do. Galatians 5, 24-25 says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. As Pentecostal people, that should mean a little bit more to us than people that are non-Pentecostal. Because we profess to live in the Spirit. And so, if we live in the Spirit, we have to walk in the Spirit. Luke 9.23 says, Then he, talking about Jesus, said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This verse right here, single-handedly, gets rid of casual Christianity. Because casual Christianity is something that wants all the blessings of God without doing anything at all, with no obedience, no sacrifice, nothing. Picking up your cross is a sacrifice. You cannot do that when you are solely concerned about your own life. Uh, he goes further in verses 24 and 25. It says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? There's another scripture that, that really, really sums up exactly what Paul's saying in Romans 12, verse 1. It's Romans 6, 11. It says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This means, what Paul's trying to get here, what, what the picture he's trying to paint is that when sin walks by, if you're sitting in this seat and sin walks by and it looks at you, it sees a dead person. It sees nothing we're pursuing. It sees no avenue of life that it can find and use. You are dead to sin. You are alive to Christ. The second way to look at this is that Jesus Christ is our living sacrifice. He is the one that, that died and rose again. And so we are to emulate Jesus, to, to die to sin, and to live under God. And, and both of those examples show us what it means to be a living sacrifice. Paul goes further and says we are to be holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Okay? Remember we talked about how in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul lays out the doctrine. The, 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 the what's and the why's and the how's, right? So in chapter 12, and further on throughout Romans, he lays out our duties, our responsibility to the what's and the why's and the how's. You have a responsibility as a Christian. I have a responsibility as a Christian that comes with, with duties. And, and so I want to, to, for us to pause here for a minute and, and think about what is acceptable to the Lord. Think about that in your mind. If you've ever had to think about it, what's acceptable to the Lord? Is there a, a, a line in the sand that you know has been drawn and, and on this side it's acceptable and that side it's not? Like what determines for you what is acceptable to the Lord? Further, further yet, 
has God declared what is acceptable to him and what is not? Because if he has, then our opinions don't matter, and instead, we have commands and directives to follow. The, the parable that we talked about last Sunday, about the talents, uh, tells us that God expects a return for what's his. Remember? The, the, the one, one had five, and, and he went, and he, he, he made another five, and one had two, and he went and made another two, and one had one, and he just went and buried it in the ground. And when his, his master came back, he said, I, I know that you are a, a harsh taskmaster and that you reap where you don't sow, and, and so here's your one talent back. And that master says, you're, you're wicked. He says, take from him what's his and give it to the one that has ten and get rid of this one. And so God expects a return on what is his. And so that, that brings into question a couple of questions for us. One is, what return is our life giving him? When you look at your life, what return is the Lord getting? Are you using your body to bring him glory, or are you using your body for yourself? Is, is your body in subjection, in subjection to the Lord, or are you a slave to another master? And that can, be, that can be food, that can be alcohol, that can be drugs, that can be caffeine, that can be anything that you cannot go a day without. And I know I'm stepping on a lot of toes. I wore my boots today because I like coffee, I like caffeine. But I'm not supposed to be in subjection to anything. I'm supposed to live my life in a way where the only being or entity that has any persuasive value over my life is Jesus Christ. There is no line that can be drawn when it comes to realizing that all we have is God's. Everything that you have, everything that I have, everything that he's given us, the ability to have, the, the very breath that we have, all belongs to, to, to God. And so, think about this this way, and, and I'm... I'm it's going to sound comedic, and it might sound a little bit irreverent. It's not meant to be. It's meant to just get us to, to really think about something that, that is so preposterous, it doesn't make any sense. But imagine if somebody leads a, a, a bowl to the altar. The bowl is laid out on the altar. His neck slit. He bleeds out. They're getting ready to dissect him because certain parts belong to the Lord and certain parts don't. And this bowl decides one of his feet decided to just get up and leave. It just gets up, comes animated, walks off the altar, goes into something else. What, what would you say if, if his tongue just got up and left, or, or his eyes, or, or, or anything like that? It's, it's so preposterous that, that you probably wonder what I had in my coffee this morning. But think about that, because that's kind of what a lot of Christians do. When they come to salvation, they, they have no problem dying themselves. I don't know about you, but I, I was at a point when, when I met the Lord that I had nothing left to live for. I had nothing left to give. I wanted to die. And so it was no problem for me to lay myself completely on that altar. I didn't need to hold anything back. I didn't have anything worth holding back. I didn't, it wasn't like I was 50% good and I just needed the Lord's help with this extra 50%. I was, I was nasty. I knew it. That wasn't the battle for me, not laying myself down. The battle for me has been not taking certain parts of myself and getting them off the altar. Because while it's funny if a bull does it, it's not funny when we do it. And we're all prone to instead of leaving ourselves on the altar and letting God do with us what he will, to pull him back what we've given God and using it for us. Or is it just me? Am I, am I preaching to anybody? Right? Because 
Church is about being real, and if we can't be real, then I might need to change my sermon. That's a battle for me. We talked about it on Wednesday nights. I have areas of my life that, that God is clearly drawing these lines, he's closed these doors, and sometimes I go and I want to peek through that door. I want to listen to that song that I know is going to take me nowhere good. That's a huge battle for me. So it's funny when a bull does it, but we can all justify why we do it. It's not funny when we do it, it's sad. And so as, as we go into this, and we go into this, this living sacrifice idea, we have to keep that in mind, that, that we're not meant to become a living sacrifice once and then get off the altar and go and do whatever we want. It, it, it's, it's meant that, that we, we don't offer anything that we have to things that are against God. Whether that be our stomachs, our minds, our eyes, our hands, our ears, our mouths, whatever it might be, we don't allow things that God has taken and cleansed to then be used to utter profane or, or, or unholy things. It, it, it is the story of the Old Testament saints. Time and again, God says, have nothing to do with these people. Because if you do, if you marry their women, you're going to start worshiping their gods. And they say, yeah, right. And they go marry the women, they start worshiping their gods. Time after time after time, in the Old Testament, you read about what happens when a, a holy, sanctified, set-apart people decide that their body is meant to serve other things besides God. It's always their bodies that lead them astray. It's always the desires of their heart that lead them astray. And so th this idea of a living sacrifice, of properly stewarding what God has done in our lives, means that we can't be like them. It, it, it's the fight that Paul talks about in, in Romans 7 about, as I said earlier, that the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. But thank God for Romans 8. And, and Paul goes further, and, and he goes into to, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. He says this, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What we do with our bodies Matters And Paul goes even further and calls it our, our, our reasonable service. Some translations say our spiritual act of worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think a spiritual act of worship, I think about what we just did, where we come and we, we sing songs and we raise our hands and we, we glorify God. But that's not what, what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that how you live is your spiritual act of worship. It's your reasonable service. And so sometimes if somebody comes to me and they say, Listen, I got something reasonable I want you to hear. My first immediate thought is, what unreasonable thing are they going to ask me? Right? But Paul says it's your reasonable act of service. We, we live in a very individu individualistic nation uh, where, where we want what we want. We want to have what we want. We don't want anybody to tell us anything different. And, and, and I respect that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm born where I was born, that I live where I live. But I want to be flat honest, that died when I became a Christian. Because my allegiance is not to the President of the United States, it's to, it's to Jesus Christ. 
Now I want to be a good citizen and I want to honor my president and I want to do the things that I can, but this matters. And so the problem is, is that when we come from an individualistic nation and we take those thoughts and we move them into a life where we don't have a president, we have a king, there is going to be a clash somewhere. Because God is not interested in a democracy. God is not interested in, in a bunch of people getting together and getting an opinion of what they want and telling God this is how it's going to be. God is only interested in his way and his will. And so when you are bought at a price, everything about you dies. Your, your ideas, your motives, your agendas, you, it all dies, and you lay yourself at the feet of Jesus, and he gives you life. Which means that everything you have means glory and honor to him. God's kingdom is not built like any nation on earth. It's a divine kingdom. We don't have the option to do whatever we want. We have the option to obey or disobey. And so what, what, what we need to understand is that God is shaping our lives to bring him glory. And so if, if we died with Christ, like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that means that Christ is now alive in us. Imagine, if you will, for a minute, what would happen if Christ defied the Father? It can never happen. It literally cannot happen. So if Christ lives in us, and we've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what God has asked, then church, holy living is not an unobtainable thing. It's something that we can strive for, something that we can work for. It's something that we can steward, and we can steward our bodies in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Paul hits this really hard on, on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. He says the following, All things are lawful for me. A lot of people stop right there. I've heard so many people quote this scripture and they just, I mean, there's a comma there, but they put a period there and they act like that's the end of the chapter and the end of the Bible. It says, all things are lawful for me, comma, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Free sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I don't know how many of you have ever watched that, that sermon that I posted a while ago called uh, A Call to Anguish by David Wilkerson. He hits this really hard. And he talks about the, the need to be a consecrated, set-aside, set-apart people. The, the word reasonable, remember Paul calls this our, our, a reasonable act of service, the word reasonable is defined um, this way, as much as is appropriate or fair, moderate. And that means that it's not too much for God to ask us to do this. 
It's the, the fair and the right request that he can ask of us because of what he's already done for us. If you look at it in terms of, of a wedding, if you, if you have a man and a woman come together as bride and groom, they commit themselves to each other, and this commitment determines what the bride and groom are going to do with their bodies. They, they enter into a, a committed relationship, and, and they tell each other, I'm not going to give my body to anything else but you. And that's what it means to be in a, in a committed marital relationship. And so, in, in a general sense, that's, that's kind of how it is with us towards the Lord, that, that when, when Christ buys our bodies, when he, when he pays that price, when, when he purchases us by his blood, our bodies are no longer our own. They're his. Don't take back what the Lord has already bought. And don't use what God has cleansed and, and, and sanctified to do things that are not worthy of him. Paul states that there's two ways that we can live according to the word of God. We can live according to God or according to the world. And there's multiple scriptures that testify to this. We're going to look at a couple of them. The first is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. James 4.4 4 says, in the characteristically uh, tender-heartedness of James, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. We cannot ever please God by living like the world. That's our battle, is to, to make sure that, that we're not living according to how the world says we should live. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I know that every generation has had its own battle. I know that. I'm not naive enough to think that, that my generation is the first one to enter into warfare against the world or that, that my, my children's generation is the first. But I can honestly say, in looking at church history, I, I don't know if I've seen it this prevalent where God is so openly mocked and people are told left and right what to believe and how to act and what to say. And so as we live longer in this life, there's going to become more and more pressure to not be somebody that goes against what the world wants. It's fine if you're in a room and there's 30 people that are for God and there's 20 people that are against God. It's really hard if you're the only one in the room that's for God and you've got 60 people that are against God. You don't feel quite so sure. You don't feel quite so strong. And so but my first admonition to, to this church would be stick together. Have each other's backs. Pray for each other. We, we've talked about that a lot. The other thing is, is to encourage right living in your own life. And when you do that, when you submit to God, when you honor him with your body, when you honor him with your way of living, 
it will let other people that are doing the same thing, it will encourage them. And you can encourage each other. We, uh, we wonder why, why the church has significantly lost its effective witness in the world. And the, the clear, I mean, the blunt way to say it is that it's because the church looks more like the world than it does the bride of Christ. And so a return to proper living, a return to holy living is not just a fix-all for everything. It's, it's the, the basic requirement of what the Lord expects from us. But Paul doesn't tell us that we need to be conformed to the world. He tells us we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I want to look at, at the renewing of our minds first, and then we're going to go back and, and look at what happens when, when we, we prove that, that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. But in renewing our minds, it's interesting, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul has two, two different sections of Scripture there that, that are all in the same chapter, but they deal with kind of specifically what we're talking about in Romans 12, 1 and 2 in a much fuller picture. And so Ephesians 4, beginning verse 17, the Word of God says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given, them, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what it means to renew our minds, that we put off the former things and we put on the new things, the things that, that God has given us, the things that Christ died so we could have. We forsake everything that is against God. And I remember, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, if a, if a preacher got on fire, he'd, he'd admonish his, his church to, to get rid of their television sets, and the majority of the church would go get rid of their television sets, and it wasn't thought of as that bold of a statement. Filth in the home equals filth in the home, right? But nowadays, if I was to stand up here and say, throw your TVs out, I would be considered like a revolutionary and probably somebody that you don't want to hear preach. But I'm telling you, what you allow in your home what you willingly open the door to has free reign in your home. There are certain people that I don't want coming in my home. And nobody, no, nobody here. I'm just saying, like, if I know somebody is a, is a serial killer, I'm not going to invite them in my home, right? If it's midnight, I don't leave my doors open so that anybody in the world can walk in. I lock my doors. It doesn't make sense for me to protect my family physically from people that might come in to do them harm but then open them up spiritually to anything and everything through what comes in through the TV or the radio or anything else. Our kids get enough junk in their lives at school. They don't need to find or hear or see the same things in their house that they're hearing and seeing in school. There has got to be a line somewhere. And church, 
Our call from God is not to get as close to that line as possible. It's to get as far away from that line as possible. And so this battleground, this, this idea of stewarding our bodies, I, I could have easily titled it the, the Christian's warfare. Because stewarding your body cannot happen unless you have self-discipline. If you don't have self-discipline, what do you have? Nothing. And self-discipline, self-control, is a fruit of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit in us will produce the fruit we need to live righteously in this day and age. And nothing else will. Nothing breaks my, my heart more as a shepherd than, than watching sheep settle for, for thorns and thistles instead of green grass and cool water. And it's really hard to watch the battles that, that some people walk through, the, the, the battles that they just can't seem to get victory over, and, and they come forward and, and you pray over them and you, you want God to move, but let's just be honest, sometimes we're our worst enemy. And sometimes it's a lot easier to come forward and have prayer for something that's going on in our life rather than just stop allowing that thing to go on in our life. There's a saying that says, what you allow is what will continue. And, and yes, there's, there are strongholds that the enemy builds in our life. There's things that, that need torn down through prayer. But there's also things that we want in our life more than we want to get rid of. And if you want it more than you want to get rid of it, prayer on the altar may not fix it. Obedience is probably what's going to fix it. So as we look at this, it's one of these things where don't let the deceitful lust that only sow corruption and only reap unrighteousness into your life. Fight them. Pursue the things of God. Give up everything that hinders you. Uh, give up all that enslaves you and anything, even if you think you have it under control, the fact that you have to worry about if you have it under control means you probably don't have it under control. Uh, anything that, that would seek to move you away from, from Christ has to go. Because it's not going to get easier, it's going to get harder. Uh, when, when, we, when we choose to do that, when we let our, our minds be renewed by Christ, when we take his yoke upon us and we, and we follow him in his footsteps, we seek to honor him with our lives, then we can prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God, which is found in Ephesians 4, 25-32. It says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. If we want to steward our bodies, this is how we're going to do it. And so there's three things that we can do right here, right now, that you can, you can begin before you even step out of this church to be good, good stewards of your body. The first is to consecrate your body. Okay, consecrate means to set apart for a sacred purpose to declare 
to be sacred. Now, you in and of yourself cannot declare your body to be sacred. But if you are in Christ, he has already declared it, and so you can follow his leading. You can purpose in your hearts that you will not do things that God has said we can't do, and that you will do things that God has said we are to do. You can commit your body to the Lord. We, we talked about that earlier, like in a marriage sense, but commit means to pledge or bind oneself to something or someone, to be dedicated to someone or something. It never fails. You are always going to have multiple things that pull at who you are. You're going to have things that want to define you. You're going to have, uh, I'll do it this way, if you're, if you're a husband, that's going to have a pull on your life. If you're a father, it's going to have a pull on your life. It, whatever you do as a job is going to have a pull on your life. If you have hobbies, it's going to have a pull on your life. Don't let them pull you out of the will of God. All of those things are meant to be contained in God's will for your life. So commit your body to him first, and those other things will happen. The third thing is, is to commission your body, and commission means to order or authorize in church, the truth of the matter is, is we've all already been commissioned by our Lord, but lining up with his commission for our lives is our responsibility. Uh, Jesus says that those who want to follow him should find a cross, not their own, set it up against a rock, and sit there and wait for him to walk by, right? It doesn't say that. It says pick up your cross daily and follow him. It takes action. You cannot pick up your cross with inaction. You cannot follow him with inaction. Everything in the Christian life that we are called to do takes action on our part to bring it to fruition. God initiates. God empowers. We follow. And so being good stewards of our bodies is it's not just about a legalistic set of rules of do's and don'ts. It's not about um, being holier than thou because you, you do three good things and you only do two bad things. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about understanding that God chose us. God saved us. God has called us and God has commissioned us. And so everything that we have is from God. If you are alive today, it's because you still have a purpose for God. Every morning you wake up, God has something planned for you to do that day. And so the best thing that we can do and the thing that, that God desperately needs us to do is to honor him with everything that we have. Honor him with your lips. Honor him with your eyes. Honor him with your ears, your heart, your mind, your will, everything that you have. The beautiful thing about this is that the more you do it, the easier it gets. If, if you've ever been on a diet... Uh, clearly, I haven't, but um, it's hard when you first start it, right? And those, those natural urges, they, they spring up so strong. First day's hard, second day's a little bit harder, the third day's like make it or break it. But you get into the fourth, fifth, sixth day, all of a sudden you notice that those things that, that used to pull at you, those, those things, those desires that you had, they're not as strong as they once were. And if you get two months in, you don't even think about it. Our bodies are built to work a certain way. They, they have their own desires, but when we discipline our bodies, 
when we discipline our bodies, they will fall into subjection to the Lord himself. Another way to say it is that God has his body to do his work, which means he has you and I to be who he's called us to be. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the whole book of Romans, but especially Romans 12, 1 and 2. God, I pray that as we look at at stewardship, as we look at at what our, our right responsibility is to you as our Lord and Savior, God, that we would not get disheartened, that we would not get discouraged if our lives are not where we want them to be, but that we would understand that you call us and you pull us and you empower us and you move in us and you shape us and you mold us and you conform us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And that that can never happen without a cross. And it can never happen without sacrifice. But God, I praise you and I thank you that you have given us new life. That those former things, the things that we used to be enslaved to, we no longer have to be enslaved to. That you have given us your spirit that the old is gone and the new has come. God, that what you call us to, you empower us to. And so God, let us take one faithful step after another because it matters so much. Because there are so many whose eternity is at stake. And God, let us count the privilege of salvation as a serious thing. And let us honor you by disciplining our bodies, by submitting ourselves to you, and by counting your work as more important than our desires, Father. Help us to be your body. Help us to reach those that desperately need to hear the gospel before it's too late. God, as we steward your word and we steward our bodies, bring those two together to bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.